If you've been with us this spring, in this, summer, this winter, in this spring, you've accomplished a feat. We have officially, as of today, looked at the top 10 trending verses in the latter part of the third, fourth quarter of last year. I have to be honest with you, I initially wasn't real keen on this idea. The part about having teams that's always good is a lot of times it's better, the decisions are better, the, the end result is better, but sometimes in the process it can be a little rough. We typically, a number of you are guests with us today or even new members, uh, we typically study through books of the Bible, we go verse by verse, we still did that during trending, um, but we ran to every, very rarely ever just kind of randomly go to different parts of the Bible like we have in this series. But I'm going to be honest, as apprehensive as I was going into it, primarily because it was out of our tradition or out of the way we always do things, um, this has been for me and it has been for our staff um, just a great series. God has really moved and God has, has spoken to us about a number of things. God's moved and God's spoken to me about a number of things. And, and I had no idea at the time, I, I kind of suspected that the, so many of the top verses would be verses focused on issues like peace or comfort or anxiety. Well, you never know when you're planning this stuff out six months ago or whatever that, um, that actually even you personally would need those verses and that reminder that God is with us. He is our peace in the midst of anxiety or he is, he is there and he's leading us and he's guiding us and, and has been pretty well constant throughout the whole thing, this theme of God being with us. Last week was the pinnacle. It was the top. Um, it was the most searched verse last year in the first part of this year. Um, Isaiah chapter 41, that, that message is already up on the podcast, both on Spotify and YouTube, and you can see it there. It's in the archives um, on the website, and you can see it. And, and God just moved again, and just to remind us and to remind me, I'm walking this with you. You're not doing this by yourself. Now, this isn't the most trended. This is the one that actually leads us into the Easter season. So we're in John chapter 10. And verse 10 is the trending verse. And verse 10 says that Jesus is describing, it's Jesus speaking. So depending on what your Bible is, is published as, those letters are probably in red. Those words are probably in red because this is Jesus actually speaking. And he is describing a scenario where the enemy comes against us and others who come are like thieves wanting to rob us of basically of our lives. And Jesus says, no, I am going to give you life. And he, and he qualifies it. He says, I'm not only going to give you life, but I'm going to give you abundant life. And that one verse, John chapter 10, verse 10, that one verse is the most trending verse, but the context is this beautiful picture where Jesus is with his disciples and he's basically talking to them and helping them understand the relationship he's offering and reminding them the depth of God's love. And we transitioned out of hashtag trending into the Easter season to counting today, the next four weeks is all about Easter which I've got to be honest, I'm super excited. Easter is my favorite season of the year. Partially, I am strongly influenced and biased because I became a Christian during the Easter season. 
My friends had been talking to me. They had been witnessing to me. I had been watching their example. But it was during the Easter season that God began to move in my heart and God began to speak to me and started to do some very significant and dramatic things to help me realize he wanted to be in relationship with me. He, He wanted to know me. He, he wanted to give my life meaning and my life purpose beyond all the agendas and all the things I had developed for myself. He wanted me to be in relationship with him. And during that Easter season, I made the decision to trust in Jesus. I, I got down, the only example I had was a little prayer and a little booklet, and I got down on my knees and I said, Dear Lord Jesus, forgive me. I know I've sinned. I know I don't deserve your love but I want you to be in my life. I use the expression that many of us use. I said, I want you to live in my heart. There wasn't an immediate change. Nothing happened, no lightning bolts, no lights didn't even flicker. In fact, I was so unsure that he had heard me um, because I had never prayed before that I just kept saying it over and over again. I thought, I'll get to get it right eventually. You know, just, dear Lord Jesus, come into my heart heart. Well, it wouldn't take very long the next day before God demonstrated to me beyond any shadow of a doubt in my mind that Jesus had done that and that I was in a new relationship with God. But more, almost more importantly to me at that point in time than the thought of a majestic, unbelievably powerful God was the thought that there was somebody who loved me that much that already accepted me, didn't accept me with the hope that I would change. I would later understand that God did have hopes I would change, but he was willing to take me in that moment just as I was. And in John chapter 10, this is one of those passages that I first read in those first few weeks where it became so clear to me, God's on my side. And it may sound kind of awkward to even say that, but, but he's there for me and he's, he's with me and he wants me to succeed, not by the standards of the world that are almost impossible to achieve, but by his standards of being in relationship with him. And so in this last of the trending and in this transition, as we move into Palm Sunday next week, the celebration of Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem on that last week of his life before his crucifixion, and we start into Easter and we have all the fun and activities that are involved with Easter weekend and as well as the services, let's just listen to Jesus say, I believe to each and every one of us, I love you, I'm with you, and I want you to know Being with me is the best place to be. So John chapter 10, beginning in verse one, this is what Jesus said to his disciples. And it's applicable to us. It includes us. Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because he knows they know his voice. And they will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. 
Now, it gets a little complex right at first, partially because we don't live in this environment that Jesus is using for this illustration. Most of us have never been in a sheep pen. Most of us don't know a shepherd and never known a shepherd. Most of us don't have any idea how that works in the Middle East because even if we've seen it here in the United States or we've seen it someplace in North America or maybe in the northern UK and Scotland where the, the mountains are covered with sheep, and, you know, it's not the same as it was to the Bedouins that Jesus sees every day as he's walking with his disciples. Because we're not familiar with a little sheep pen in which typically at night after all the sheep are in and secure, the shepherd himself oftentimes lays down across the entrance so that nothing comes in and no one gets out and the shepherd provides security. And Jesus is saying clearly to an audience that understood the historical agricultural background of the, of the illustration, I am going to keep you secure. There is security in our Savior. There is security in knowing Jesus. And it's knowing Jesus. And this is what struck me that Easter season was the personal relationship God wanted with me. Jesus' illustration is full of intimacy. It talks about the threat of the thief and the robber. And it, but then it would, talks about entering into the gate the gatekeeper, the assistant who may be holding the gate and securing the gate in that moment opens it because not only does he recognize the shepherd, but the sheep recognize the shepherd's voice. As he walks up to the pen, as he walks up, the sheep hear. You can, you can imagine it. You've seen this with any kind of pet you have except fish and cats who just don't know how to listen. Um, you know, you walk in, they hear your voice, they perk up, they're paying attention, they're aware. And Jesus is describing this about a flock of sheep in the Mideast, probably 20 to 30 sheep at most, not a big, huge commercial flock. They hear the shepherd's voice and they recognize it. In those few weeks during the Easter season, I began to hear the shepherd's voice. I didn't think it was possible. I, I didn't think God could speak. And I, and I can't tell you today because I heard something that I'm not sure anybody else was capable of hearing, but I heard it clearly. I heard him on a Friday night when I was with some friends clearly say to me, James, you've sinned. You have, you have lived a life that for the most part has been as contrary for me as you possibly could get. And I heard him say, but I'm going to take care of it. I heard him just as clearly speak to me on another Friday night during the Easter season. It would have been Good Friday that year when I saw an image and a picture of Jesus so compassionate and so caring to a prisoner, to an inmate who just wanted cool water. And I thought tangibly to myself as I heard that in my heart, if that's who Jesus is, I want to know him. I heard him just as clearly the night after I asked him to come into my heart, speak to me and say, I'm here. I heard your prayer. I heard another friend's prayer and I am with you from this point on. 
It's a little confusing sometimes to people because I didn't follow the traditional path. See, traditionally, you become a kid when you, you become a Christian when you're a kid. You go up and you participate in Wild Wednesdays and all the other activities that children's ministry has. And then you become a student. You become a part of student ministry. And you go to youth camp. And at youth camp, you get convicted and decide you want to be a pastor. And then they begin training you and working with you and mentoring you. And at some point in time, when you're considered an adult, you're you know, moved into a position where you can serve and lead. I didn't do that. I just, because I was a late bloomer, I did it all at once. When I heard him on that Sunday night as I was driving back to my dorm, as I, when I heard him and I knew he had heard my prayer and I knew he answered my prayer, I prayed probably the most authentic prayer of my whole life. Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm willing to do it. He called me to be a pastor before I even knew what a pastor was. I had never met one, I had never seen one, I had never listened to one for for any length of time to understand. But yet that night he said, this is what you're going to do. I heard his voice and there was security. Even though there was so much that wasn't known, so much that was unknown and just not understood and, and incomprehensible to me, I heard him. And I realized I knew him and I realized he knew me and I wanted to spend my life following him. The sheep follow him because they know his voice in verse four. And that's why we're here. We've heard his voice or we want to hear his voice. And and something inside said, hey, you know, church probably is a good place to hear the voice of God. And you came, you came with a friend or you came on your own and you're here because you want to hear that voice. Well, through the millenniums, here's Jesus saying, Know me. There's security in our shepherd. Know me. Hear my voice. He goes on in verse 6 and says this. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Jesus again speaks, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, All who came before me were thieves and robbers. All the messages, all the leaders, all the claimed messiahs, all the claimed prophets, everybody, they were thieves and robbers, but the sheep still didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll come in and go out and find pasture. Here's the, here's the popular verse that led to this message. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. This is salvation. In a secular world, we don't completely understand or use the phrase, be saved. And we use it in the church, and, and sometimes it's unclear even in the church because it's not a concept we're familiar with. What does it mean to be saved? I had no clue what it meant to be saved. I just know I heard Jesus' voice, and I responded to it. I would find out over time, oh, by the way, that's the process of salvation. That's how you know you're saved. Oh, what does saved mean? It means that God gave his son and he gave his life and he died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven so that I would have the ability to live this life. But even more importantly than this life, I would have the ability to join him later in heaven. I would be forgiven. 
I would be able to look with anticipation towards my resurrection because the resurrection of Christ has given me the power. And when I get to heaven, everything that's mortal and weak and everything that's perishable and corruptible is transformed into strength and imperishable incorruptibility and immortality. God had given me eternal life without fear because I was trusting Jesus. Salvation is in our shepherd and we trust him. And that's what he's describing. If anyone enters by me, this relationship we just established in the first few verses, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved because I came that they may have life. Every hesitation, every doubt, every sense of what I might be giving up in order to know Jesus changed instantly. And there's been no regrets. They never could have thought it would be fun to go to church. Granted, I'm judging um, inappropriately because I had never been to church but it just seemed like it wasn't the place you really wanted to spend your time. And some have had experiences, and I recognize that, and that includes me, that weren't great. And you're thinking, I don't know. You might even be thinking that this morning. You may have come, and you're thinking to yourself, I, I just, I, you know, there's so many things I could have done. Maybe there's so many things I should have done. Why am I here? But it it wasn't about the church. It was about trusting Jesus. It was about knowing him. It's about having my salvation in him. And then as I trusted him, after I knew him, I began to find out church was actually fun. I, I enjoy being in church. I don't know what to do with myself if I don't go to church. Just on the, even on the Sundays when I'm not preaching, when somebody out of the preaching team's preaching, I don't know what to do with myself. I am pacing on Saturday nights because I, I don't have technical responsibility the next day. Actually, what I've learned in the last few years since we developed other teachers in our congregation and we, and we share some of this responsibility is it's actually really fun to come to church without responsibility. I can, I, I mean, I love visiting with you guys. I love being out there. I love trying to learn your names and I, I love meeting new people. I met Noah and Cheryl from San Antonio this morning over here visiting their daughter, came to our church this morning. They're on vacation. They're visiting their daughter and they came to church. That made you guys kind of heroes in my book and I'm thankful for you. It's just fun. I mean, I love it. But the service starts at 11 and Josh starts typically right on time. And I hear the first song. And, I, and if you've been in the cafe or out front in the lobby sometimes with me, maybe I've even said this to you. I said, it's time for me to go to work. Because there are expectations on me. On the Sunday, there aren't expectations. I can stay in the lobby. We have three venues in our church. We have the worship center. We have live stream online. And then we have the lobby. I can stay out there and drink coffee with the guys and visit it and eat donuts left over from Bible study. I, I, I love being here. My, my security's in our shepherd. My salvation's in our shepherd. I know Jesus. I trust Jesus. I love Jesus. In verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. 
This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Jesus said again, Truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And this is the one worth highlighting. I lay down my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. It's the sacrifice of our shepherd but I believe the sacrifice propels us to love Jesus. I mean, it's it's difficult to grasp, but he gave his life for us. Jesus even said it after the resurrection when he's meeting with the disciples. He's talking and he's talking about how fortunate those disciples are because they see him in person. But he goes on to say, there's, there's another generation that's even more blessed than this generation who sees me in person. That generation will believe in me having not seen me. When I first read that verse, I like stood up in my dorm room and said, that's me. He's talking about me. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was telling Thomas, it's a good thing you see, Thomas, and finally got your act together. Not one of my favorite disciples. You know, but there's another generation coming. For 2,000 years, Jesus waited to see me trust him and know him so that I could love him. And he gave his life for me. It doesn't bother me that I don't see him physically. I see him every day in people's faces and in the circumstances through which people find the help and encouragement and strength that God gives them. I see Jesus every day. One day, I'll cross the threshold. One day, I will be in heaven and I will see Jesus face to face. But I'm fine with faith for now. I'm okay with it because I see him move and work everywhere. And I love him. He gave his life for me. Who's going to do that for us? Who's really going to do that? It's one of those things that's nice to say hypothetically. Ironically, we don't know until we get to that moment, and hopefully none of us ever experienced that moment, but you already know about Jesus because that moment's already come. Before any of us were ever born, before one, any of us were ever a glimmer in the lines and lineage and the descendants and heritage of ancestors, before any one of us was any part of any kind of existence, Jesus gave his life for us. He said, I love you. How can you not love somebody who cares that much? So today, I follow. I find strength in my shepherd. Verse 16 says, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the father loves me because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my father. Our shepherd is strong, which makes it easier to follow Jesus because he has the strength. He has everything necessary to accomplish. 
There are times when I read through the Bible plan I'm on where I read every day and I do that for an entire year and read the entire Bible in one year. The Bible plan I'm on right now just finished the last part of the book of Mark and finished the crucifixion. And it's sometimes easy to look at everything related to the crucifixion and think how rotten and how mean and how horrible those guys were. And to think it was their fault Jesus died. But it wasn't. Jesus says right here in the passage we're looking at today, he says, no one takes my life from me. The creator of all life, the sustainer of all life, no one usurped his authority and took his life. Jesus gave it willingly. It says it right here. It's his words. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. Anybody that's willing to do that for us is worth following. I don't want to scare anybody, so you might not want to pray this morning. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Because here I am all these years later, but truthfully, multiple times when life was hard and I thought about, is there anything else I can do, anything else I would want to do? The answer has always been the same. No, never. This is all I want to do with my life is follow Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a pastor. Because we need engineers We need school teachers. We need moms that stay at home with their kids and watch over them. We need moms and dads that are homeschool and raise their children. We need every vocational possible. And one of the reasons we need every vocation possible is because in your vocation, whatever you choose to do with your life, I believe God wants you to do with your life, God will give you the opportunity to tell other people how deeply Jesus loves them. So just follow him. Just know that there's security and we know him. Know know that we have the opportunity to trust him and he's worth trusting. Know that he has our salvation and he has our best interests in mind. Know that he so deeply compares, so deeply loves us and, and has deep compassion for us that he gave it up. He gave everything. He laid it all down just for me, just for you. So love him. And then know that his strength is beyond comprehension. Nothing too big, nothing too hard. There's a lot too big and there's a lot that's too hard for me, but nothing for Jesus. I'll trust him and I'll follow him. Let's take just a moment to pray. The team's gonna come back. We're gonna close with a final song and and go back out into the rain, into the week. And we're going to start, we, for us, we're starting Easter today. We're going to come back next week at a celebration of, the, of Palm Sunday and everything related to Jesus' last week of life before the resurrection. But the resurrection is real. And the resurrection is true. And it's where we have power. Power to overcome death. Power to live. Power to see verse 10 become a reality. Jesus came to give us life. And that life is an abundant, meaningful, fulfilled life.